0: Have you been to the Bose shop lately? Have you been to the speaker shop lately?
1: No, because I own no speakers. We've been over this.
0: Headphone shop, audio shop. No. If I said Bose companion speaker, would you know what I'm talking about? Double no. Bose have created this weird thing. You rest on your... You put it around your neck and you rest it on your shoulders. And they are speakers. Is this like just headphones for people... Who think that
1: everyone else should listen to their music too. My taste in music is so good. I need to share with the world. What, why? Is this for when
0: you're at home and you're relaxing? And you don't want things in your ears? Yeah. Because you've not seen them. You should please Google. Please Google them now.
1: Okay, okay. I'm going to Google these Bose companion speakers. Weird, right? what (laughs) what is this you know what it looks like it looks like a mimic (laughs) it's just like tentacles like resting on your shoulders or something i'm ready for these wow okay so it's officially called the soundware companion speaker hands-free ears-free this is so strange it's it's it is ears-free you still need ears it is literally what i said it's basically Targeting the same use case as headphones, but when you just don't care if other people have to listen to your music too. It's for when you want portable speakers just with you, I guess. It's really odd. Have you tried them out?
0: Yeah, I tried them out. (laughs) Do they sound good? They sound amazing. (laughs) And without the discomfort of headphones. But they're just going to be on your sh. How heavy are they? They're heavy. But the the weight is spread across the whole device. So it's like, you know, a VR headset. It's heavy, but the weight distribution is clever enough to not give you any discomfort. Well, my
1: initial reaction is, this looks weird. I can't remember if we kept it in, but we had a conversation about douchebag giant headphones. Like people walking around with giant over ear headphones right yes we kept that in and is this the next evolution of that because like i actually kind of approve of giant headphones i'm totally cool with that i do not think i would be totally cool with this if someone on the mtr was just sat there with this thing on blaring
0: out i don't know just pretty much anything we should do it i'll i'll buy you a pair you wear them and we'll just we'll take a video, go viral, we're the first ones. Go viral. Look at this douchebag. At what point in that? We'll put a timer up. <laughs> How long will you survive until someone... It's, it's Hong bit... Kong.
1: It's Hong Kong, so people will probably just like look at me and tut, but then just not do anything about it because they just don't want the conflict.
0: How much are they, actually?
1: They are... Oh my goodness. They're 300 USD. That's a lot. Why are you showing me these?
0: Because it's funny. Because <laughs> it's funny. You think these look hilarious. <laughs> Lol. But it's
1: going to turn out that Kevin's bought some.
0: I hope so. That's
1: that's the normal way this works out.
0: That's what happens when we see him in November. He's just going to rock up with these around his neck. Or if he wasn't going to, well, now he knows about them.
1: <laughs> Hi, Kevin. <laughs> Ask for them for Christmas. Ting will sort you out, I'm sure.
0: So, what have you been up to in the last two weeks?
1: What? Why are we doing this again? Are we? Are we talking about? Oh, I. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Now I know. <laughs> oh, now I understand. Because last time you asked me this, and I said, "Oh, I've just been sick." But what I was meant to say was, "Oh, I went and tried out this VR gaming place." <laughs> now I get it. Sorry, you're prompting his. Uh... Look, there was a look behind the curtain. There you go. There was a look behind the curtain at how the podcast actually works. Ting makes meticulous plans, writes down what the prompt for that section is. I completely forget about it and just go off on one about and flu again. <laughs> but this time, I eventually remembered. I'm supposed to talk about my VR gaming experience. Yes, this is actually the second time I've done this. Not in Hong Kong. I went. I went to a different one in Australia. When, when, when did, you... did we not mention that on the podcast?
0: What did you do in the VR
1: in Australia? So both times I've done one of these full scale VR experiences, it has been a zombie survival game. So in Australia, basically you strapped on like a backpack that pretty much had a laptop in it and you were wearing, I can't remember what kind of VR goggles they were, but they were like, they were like gear VRs or something, I don't know. They weren't particularly high resolution and the frame rate was not particularly high. And also it was very health and safety conscious. So, so they said to you, if you get too close to your teammates, the game will automatically pause because there's a proximity alert. If you run, the game will automatically pause. If you get too close to a wall, the game will automatically pause. You know, it was really like, they were really safety conscious.
0: Both times.
1: No, no, no. This is in Australia. Yes. So I thought I was about to get to the good bit, which is <laughs> so fast forward a couple of years. Cause I, I think the Australian one had been running for a while as well. Whereas this Hong Kong one is relatively new and it just has much better tech. So the headsets were, did we decide? Is it a Vive or a Vive? No, we didn't decide. Well, anyway, it's a vive or Aviv. What did they call it? They just said it's the headset. <laughs> they just put it on. They didn't talk about the branding. So you put on one of those. It again, has a backpack that's kind of like a laptop. But you also put on this vest that had, like, little motors in it. So that when you got shot, it actually, like, punched you in the chest. So you were wearing, like, a waistcoat of, like, rumble motors. And you could tell where you were getting hit from. You also... In the Australian one, you had kind of like PlayStation Move glowing orbs just on your head and on the gun. But in this one, they actually strapped little tracking devices to your wrists and also your ankles, so it was tracking all of your limbs independently, as well as the tracker on your headset and trackers on the guns. So, everything was tracked much more accurately. And... No health and safety briefing. In fact, not only was there no health and safety briefing, but if you played the other game, which is a pirate game, instead of giving you guns, I think they actually just give you sticks and you just have to like flail them around and whack things. So they were, they were totally like, yeah, zombies will attack you. If you get taken out, you have to pick up your teammates, just grab them and like pick them up and like hold them to get their health back. Like no proximity nonsense. No, don't run around. Just do whatever.
0: Is it because? You know where your teammates are in the game. Yeah. So you won't bump into them.
1: Yeah, but in in the Australian one, literally, if you walked within a foot of them, the game just stopped and said, like, proximity alert. Whereas this one, it was literally like, just, like, grab them, flail the stick about. Hardcore. Hardcore. Well, it's just the general Asian complete lack of health and safety laws. It's like, it's cool. If you hit yourself, that was your fault. Why are you hitting yourself? (laughs) So, the other thing that was cool, you got to choose what guns you had, or at least your loadout. So, you could have an assault rifle, an SMG, or dual pistols. I mean, I was all about the dual pistols. So much fun. You know, back in the days of light guns? Yes. And it was like a pound to play the light gun game. And... I don't know about you, but I was always like, wow, imagine if I could afford two pounds and I could play with two guns at once. How much fun would that be? So it was like that. And because I could reload the guns independently, I just had this like endless stream of bullets. I would just be shooting with one gun and reloading the other gun or shooting two targets at once. It was, <laughs> it was actually surprisingly good fun and also surprisingly scary. In the jump scare sense. Because to begin with, the zombies were quite telegraphed and were just shambling towards you from very obvious, you know, entrances. But as the game went on, like walls would suddenly collapse and they just like run at you from like a new passage or they just drop from the ceiling right in the middle of your group and you turn around and you'd be like face to face with a zombie.
0: You know how in like gun games you get tired. <laughs> Yes. Did you get, did your arms tire? So,
1: okay. At the end, they actually gave us a video. <laughs> Sorry. And, and the video shows like the in-game view where it's your avatars, but then it like sweeps across and goes back to the, the real world view where it's like the green screen and you're all there like holding your guns and looking kind of confused. And, <laughs> Yeah, you commented. Why are you holding the gun so close to your body? And so yeah, look, it was like 45 minutes and I got tired holding my guns out in front of me. So I was just like propping them up against my chest. So yeah, I was, I was like some T-Rex with two pistols going pew 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 pew, pew
0: with my little arm. Oh. Did it look that ridiculous? You're you're wetting yourself laughing. You're going to put these videos up on the blog. They are. They already are. I'm going to watch them again myself then.
1: Yeah, there's a a video of us playing, and then there's the video at the end showing our scores.
0: Would you go again? Mm,
1: Yeah, I might go again. Try out the pirate one. Accidentally clubbed some friends over the head with a stick.
0: So you didn't, so you didn't play the pirate one? We didn't
1: play the pirate one, yeah. The pirate one's new, actually. We probably should have done the pirate
0: one. Okay. Finally. Did you hear about Banksy?
1: Yeah, I heard about Banksy.
0: Oh, you're not so fussed about Banksy. Huh. <sighs> it's
1: just such a stunt. It's, okay, this is... <laughs> it's just like this terrible commentary on the art world. I mean, that's why he did it right. Because he was selling this painting in this big elaborate frame and as the auctioneer brought down the hammer you know one million pounds an alarm went off and inside the frame was actually a shredder and the painting just shredded itself
0: only half of itself
1: half of itself yeah but the thing is there's now much debate about whether the the painting is more valuable now it's shredded itself. Because if they just shredded it, it would be worthless. But because it shredded itself deliberately, that was part of the artwork, and now it makes it more valuable. It's a farce. Art is bullshit. It's not. Art is actually wonderful, but it's hilarious, right? But as intended. I mean, it's a satire on the art world, which is exactly what he intended. I mean, the fact that people are now debating about whether it's worth more now it's half-shredded is exactly the point he was trying to make. I say that. I mean, people ascribe all sorts of, you know, motives to Banksy. Banksy might literally just be doing it for the
0: lols. (laughs) Yeah, he's, yeah, fucking hell. He's laughing at all of us. He's laughing at all of us. With his millions of
1: pounds. Isn't your Steam avatar a Banksy? Yeah, it is.
0: Why it's not shredded though? Fucking hell.
1: Well, you, yours—it's gone, right? I actually found the site of where your Banksy was, but it's been painted over.
0: What? What? Why what we came with it?
1: Oh, just the Banksy that is your Steam icon. Yes, was actually originally in Melbourne.
0: Oh, was it? Yes, I didn't know it was in in Melbourne.
1: And that coincidentally is actually where I did the other VR gaming experience, and that Banksy was destroyed a few years ago by someone pouring paint over it. Fun fact. Boring pre-chat. Feels a bit flat.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, say something silly. I don't know. I love balloons. (laughs) I really hate balloons, actually. The real truth is I hate, hate balloons.
1: Have you ever tried to take a metallic balloon on the MTR?
0: Oh, no. Give me... If a child walks by... With a balloon, I have to have to grip April quite tightly. What? You have a phobia of balloons? Uh, balloons popping. Can't be dealing with it. How the hell did you manage to play Prey? <laughs> there's no balloons popping in Prey. No, there's just like things jumping at your face. No, it's, it's balloons popping in particular. Specifically? Yes. Wow. Can't be dealing with it. I don't know why. Who, who created balloons? They're an idiot. Morons. <laughs> Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Tingathy. We're a book club of games. But not today. What are we today? Today we are three years old. Can you believe it? I feel old.
1: Three years of this podcast. It feels like only yesterday we recorded five practice episodes and then we're like... Can't believe you convinced me to do a podcast. Wait, I thought this was your idea. No, (laughs) what? What do you mean, my idea? Yeah, we both thought the other one wanted to do a podcast and just put up with it. And yet here we are three years later.
0: So what are we going to talk about this episode?
1: So the topics for this episode. We're going to shamelessly rip off the Reddit time capsule and just make a bunch of predictions for five years time. 5 years time 3 years time are between, we doing are we doing between, what? between
0: 3 and 10 years time
1: <laughs> okay i thought we we i thought we are doing a theme of 3 cuz the next one You're is just asking
0: too much of me you saw how much trouble you had with just picking stuff out the time capsule is hard then the next one will be top 3
1: genres and top 3 games within those genres over the last three decades. So one from each of 1990 to 99, 2000 to 2009, and 2010 to 2019, which obviously we're not quite at yet, but close enough.
0: I wonder if someone else starts doing this. I'm going to think they got it from us. They got it from us.
1: They totally stole it. Plagiarism, call the copyright police. We're
0: going to be like the, what were those people who
1: tried to do reaction videos and get them copyrighted? Safe? Yeah. It's us. This threes and genres thing is us, right? It's too complicated. No one's ever going to do this.
0: But it's fun. It's hard. That's what makes it interesting. Everyone's tired of just vanilla top ten lists. Vanilla top tens. It's going to be top threes. (laughs) It's even easier. Just just do top three. Top threes, but then another three, a three within the three to get you nine, almost ten.
1: Top three squares, top nines, top three threes. There you go. That's the key. And finally the next book club game (laughs) with
0: (laughs) sorry you a snake I was trying to pluralise you
1: well since we're going to do something slightly different for this year of the podcast at least that's the plan So, for a time capsule to be opened in three slash five slash ten years time, what are your predictions for the time capsule?
0: I'm going to get the embarrassing one out of the way first. Okay, I wrote down triple A freezer play question mark like Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, don't we have this already? It already happened. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, I was being flippant when we talked about this. Before we started recording, but is Fortnite a AAA game? I mean, it kind of is now, right? It's got a huge budget behind it because they just realize it's such a cash cow. But it wasn't actually a AAA game before, was it? Wasn't it? I don't know. I thought it was like an A or double A. I mean, what makes something a AAA game?
0: When well, it's made by a massive studio. I don't know. No, no, that's not true. Take that away. I don't don't stand by that
1: one. (laughs) Massive studios will make art house or lesser titles that don't have a hundred million dollars plus behind them. So debatable whether Fortnite is the one. But if we haven't seen it already, then I'm sure we will see it because Fortnite has definitely shown just how much money you can make from free to play. Actually, to be honest, it's not as if we needed Fortnite to show us that, right? I mean, League of Legends, surely, Dota 2, plenty of examples of free-to-play games that rake in
0: crazy money. Makes it seem even more embarrassing now you said it like that. This is obvious. But imagine
1: GTA 6 online and it was free-to-play, for example, and it was all just selling you ludicrous cars, but with the production values of... GTA Five taken, you know, to the next level for the next decade.
0: Oh, they could they they could just do that. They could just make GTA or RDR two online free for everyone, but the campaign you have to buy.
1: It's not really free to play, though, is it? Then come on, you you want if you want it to be really true to the spirit of free to play, it's literally got to be free to play.
0: Well, you can it's free, you're free to play the online game. Hmm.
1: I mean, I'm going to contradict myself now and say. Would they really do this? You wouldn't really dump a triple A budget into something you were just giving away on the hope that it became a huge thing. You'd iterate it.
0: Yeah. Next, which console will sell the most this generation? PS4. Do, do you really have to ask? Not Switch. Ooh. Hmm.
1: Is the Switch the same generation as the PS4?
0: Yes. Oh, yes, it is for this. It's like a halfway house,
1: right? Because they had the Wii U originally, didn't they? Yes, they did. So Nintendo has just sneakily snuck an extra generation in there, thinking outside the box.
0: Stop changing the question. Stop changing the question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so for that generation, the PS4, I mean, for the generation the Switch is in, who knows? (laughs) Yeah, the Switch is definitely going to sell more than the PS4 Pro, surely. <laughs> We're doing half generations now, right? Touché. Touché. I, I, do you think in five years' time, the PS4 is still going to be the current-gen console? Or do you think this is the end of generations?
0: It's not the end of generations.
1: So you think we'll see a PS5? Yes. And do you think we'll see it within the next five years? Yes.
0: Really? Yeah, it's 2013. They released the PS4.
1: Yeah, but when did they release the PS3? I don't know. You're probably right. Actually, I think PS3 was like 2006, wasn't it?
0: I'm pulling it, dates out my ass again. It might not even be 2013.
1: <laughs> yeah, who knows? When did Destiny come out? According to my notes, 2014. Okay, I think 2013 sounds plausible. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's a wishy-washy answer. No one's going to be able to tell whether we were correct or not.
0: Which console did you give in the end?
1: I said PS4. And I... think there is at least a 60% chance that there won't be a PS5 by five years' time. Or, if there is, it will, you know, just be out. You can't say that. Just be out. Because we're really hitting diminishing returns, right? I saw a funny Reddit thread, which who knows if I'm going to be able to find it again. But it says, wow, I can't wait to see what graphics look like in 10 years time. And it's got like a picture of Crisis. And then it says fast forward 10 years and it's got a picture of Fortnite, which looks like way worse. (laughs) And It's
0: just like, oh, duh. On the topic of consoles, will streaming arrive in the next generation? And what will happen to incremental consoles? That was my answer to the previous one, right? About whether we'll see the
1: end of console generations. So, will the PS5 just basically be a PS4, but faster, and all the PS4 games will continue to run on it? And there'll just be some ill-defined point at which the majority of PlayStation games stop working on a PS4 and need a PS5. But it's not like a hard cutoff where this is a PS5 game now. Maybe.
0: That just sounds like backwards compatibility, though.
1: But, well, no, I mean, but it's more like the PC sense, right? Where plenty of games come out today that you can run on a 10-year-old PC. So there's no hard cutoff. And perhaps in the PS5 era, plenty of games will come out that can still run on a PS4. It's just whether they'll clearly demarcate the generation in the same way they did PS3 to PS4. Because you see it right now in PSN Plus, you'll often get a free game and you can download it for Vita, PS3 and PS4. But they've obviously had to just literally compile three different versions. Whereas if you went from PS4 to PS4 Pro to PS5 or whatever you're going to call it, chances are it's going to be the same fundamental architecture. It will be some x86 with an AMD card. I guess, graphics-wise.
0: Incremental means m- more frequent releases, though.
1: Yeah, so will we see a PS4 Pro 2? PS4 Pro Pro? So you think that'll happen? Well, y- it could, is all I'm saying. <laughs> it could. I mean, it could not too. I mean, you can't <laughs> say I'm right or wrong. <laughs> I I don't think it'll happen. I think they'll, they'll call it something, a PS5. But it will be an artificial delineation, rather than a technical one.
0: Okay. And have you heard about Google and their game streaming experiment? I haven't heard about Google's
1: game streaming experiment.
0: So there's a beta, and you can play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Google? Yes. Huh. And Xbox have talked about in their next console, they're going to have a a streaming box.
1: Well, the streaming is always just around the corner, but I'm not a believer in, in streamed games. Well, the thing is, you've got the laws of physics against you. The game has to be running somewhere. And when you're not streaming it, the game is running next to you. So the light speed delay is basically zero. But if you're running the game in a data centre... How close can that really be to you? And then you have to encode the video and send it over the internet, which has uncertain latency, and then show it to you. And then you have to input controller data that then has to make it all the way back to the data center. So you have this round trip time. Realistically, is this a model that scales?
0: It scales, yes.
1: But with the constraints of maintaining a good experience with low latency?
0: That one is a different question altogether.
1: I mean, let's pretend we had magical instant transmission and you didn't have a light speed delay. Then it would be like, oh great, we can just have some big data centre full of graphics cards and processors and you can run all the games on that and, you know, people in Europe are going to be awake and playing the games and they're going to go to sleep and people in Asia can play the games and they'll go to sleep and people in the, you know, Americas can wake up and play the games and we only need the capacity for like the amount of the world that's awake at once but it doesn't work like that you you have to literally build a data center close to a major population center for this to actually be a good experience
0: well you said you didn't have to worry about transmission times well I mean well then you that will be okay
1: it, well that I said like you could do that if you didn't have to worry about transmission times but you do mm. that is the fundamental problem it takes a finite amount of time to To send the data to and from wherever the game is actually running. So that's a no. There are certain genres of game for which it would be fine. But I don't think it's ever going to replace having the game running locally on your device as the primary way people consume games.
0: Will another firm enter the console market in the next five years I think this is a matter of perspective
1: because you could argue that Apple has already entered the console market Google has already entered the console market Nvidia has already entered the console market right? you have the Nvidia Shield you have all these Google home devices you have the Apple TV so it really depends on where you draw the line at what a console is if you're talking about inverted commas like core gamers, I doubt you will see someone else enter the market targeting that group.
0: Okay, what's next for VR?
1: Sticks with trackers on, so you can like hit your friends and pretend it was an accident.
0: Domestic violence. Domestic violence. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's that's too that's too close to home. Maybe. I think we will see
1: lighter, more powerful, and wireless headsets. So, I think you're going to see new use cases for VR. Like, you could just be lying in bed with a VR headset on. I hope not. (laughs) Really? That's terrible. You know, my my random YouTubing with my iPad, right? You could just put on a VR headset. I mean, that would be terrible, actually. You're right. You might never sleep again. Or instead of buying a giant TV... I mean, people have been saying this for years and it has never happened because it's never really been a good experience. But in theory, you could put on a VR headset and it can approximate an enormous TV. And is that a better experience than just sitting there and buying a big honking TV that takes up your whole wall? But there will be a point at which the VR display in front of your eye is so dense that it becomes harder to distinguish from your natural vision. Because the problem right now is that a VR display is very obviously not a good display. The lenses that they have to have and the distortion that introduces and kind of the screen door effect you get it's not comfortable to look at it for long periods of time. You can kind of become immersed in it and you notice it less but it's no good for like fine detail. But plausibly within the next five years it could come to pass that it is as good as having a 4K display on your desktop. You can make a display that's dense enough and put it right in front of your eye such that It looks that good wherever you look. And then why have a massive monitor on your desk? Why have two monitors or three monitors? Why not just have a VR headset and pretend you've got a hundred?
0: So businesses then?
1: Yeah. Why not? And then you'll get into the funny situation that because all your coders are wearing VR headsets all the time to do their work... Well, they need to interact with each other as well, so they'll have to start having avatars in the virtual space for when they're, you know, looking at their screens to write their code. But when they turn to look at each other, they have to see something, and then people are going to have to start having avatar representations of themselves, but permanent avatar representations of themselves, because they're not ones they just dip into for an hour or two in a game. They're ones that they are wearing day in and day out. So your VR representation of yourself will become as much a fashion statement as the clothes you wear and it will trigger a whole new industry of like VR design, like VR avatar design
0: That's a very good answer You gave me a lot more than I expected and that wasn't (laughs) wishy-washy
1: Boom! That's my prediction Let's see if it comes to pass Next one
0: Will AR be a thing?
1: No, it's garbage
0: no. <laughs> yeah, it probably will be. Will glasses replace phones?
1: I doubt it. Because? It's kind of inconvenient. I don't think within the next five years, we're at the point where you can fit a good display in a pair of glasses that you can see through. With sufficient computational power to do anything useful. I mean, I might be totally wrong about that. But I don't think you'll get a good experience with what you could fit in glasses
0: that aren't incredibly obtrusive. I think it makes sense. Just the tech needs to get there.
1: Well... It will be very strange once it does become a thing, because you'll never be able to tell if someone's really paying attention to you. Oh. Well, you might. You'll just see people's, like, eyes not looking at you. It will be very...
0: odd. It's already odd when someone looks at their phone when I'm talking to them. Hmm.
1: It will have all sorts of strange impacts for human culture. Like phones. Like phones. I don't know about you, but... Because Hong Kong is so safe, you know, as in the crime rate is so low, I find myself literally walking down the street, looking at my phone, just relying purely on my peripheral vision to make sure I don't walk into people. It's really bad. And the thing is, loads of other people are doing the same thing. It's not even unusual here. Why Why are you doing this? Just to try and cram more in. Just try and cram more media into my day.
0: <laughs> it's because of, you know, the four hours of YouTube. You need to... Get, get everything waves. else in.
1: Esports. Olympics. So, to phrase this as a question, rather than two words... There's punctuation there as well. Appreciate it. You are asking, do I think...
0: We'll see esports at the Olympics. There's two actually. Well, you know, what do you think of esports? Will it make it to the Olympics? What you know, where will esports be in five years' time? Ten years time?
1: I think we'll see televised races of linked to the past round. <laughs> Obviously not. Even, Obviously. Though that would be, even though that would be amazing. But no, I do not think we'll ever see esports at the Olympics.
0: In our lifetimes as well. We can extend it that far?
1: Yeah, I would extend it that far. But I think that's because the Olympics is very much about physical activities. I mean, I know they have shooting, but that's still like a dexterity thing, right? There is like a mental Olympics, isn't there? Where they play chess and have other mental games. So, potentially, that could be a better fit. But I don't think we'll see it there either, to be honest. I don't think we will see esports in any of these traditional settings but equally I don't think that means they aren't successful I just think that means it's a break with the past like the Olympics is a big traditional event with ancient history although of course there's a big break between the ancient and modern Olympics but still it's like linear TV right You've got this one event, people decide what you're going to watch and when it's going to happen and everyone goes and watches it and it's a big thing. But you know, where are esports happening? You're having tournaments all the time. They're on the internet. They're televised on Twitch, right? Maybe we'll never see the mainstream in inverted commas media pick up esports, but that doesn't matter because all that's going to happen is that the people that matter, the people who have the spending power, are actually going to stop watching mainstream linear media. They're all going to be watching Twitch. They're all going to be watching YouTube. It's a strange and terrifying paradigm shift to think. What happens when all the people who are used to watching TV, who are used to watching the big game, retire and age out?
0: So you think esports will overtake traditional sports?
1: I don't think they'll necessarily overtake traditional sports, but I think if they become of equal relevance to traditional sports, it won't look the same as traditional sports look today. You might not even know it. You might not even know it, because maybe you'll never go and see a PUBG tournament on TV, or a Dota tournament on TV, but for sure those tournaments are happening, and they're going to have hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars of prize money. They just won't be on your television. But who's going to be watching television it's going to be old retired people eventually because all those well I was going to say millennials but like you know we're millennials now millennials are actually quite old now
0: what what are they now
1: what the hell are the ones below millennials gen z's all those tide pod eating Geez, what else do they do what else is stupid
0: (laughs) well they can't drive there's the driving one
1: (laughs) snapchatting I don't know all those young people who need to get off my lawn are going to be the ones earning all the money. I mean, this is hyperbole because obviously lots of those people enjoy traditional sports and whatever as well, right? But I'm just saying it could well be a thing. It could well be a big thing. It just doesn't have to look the same as big things look today.
0: What will become of Star Citizen?
1: He'll need to raise another billion dollars of funding in order to build uh, an artificial life simulation for all the aliens, and then a compute farm to simulate soil bacteria. I mean, we're still 20 years from release at this point, right, or something. I, what the hell is going on with Star Citizen? I actually really don't know. I've not been paying attention to it. I did back it right at the beginning. I actually put in some money to back the game, and as a result, I still get emails so, I know there is some, like, CitizenCon 26 or something happening. Is it 26? This
0: a con. I can't believe it.
1: <laughs> what was that? It's a con. <laughs> uh, I really don't know anything about it. Other than that, it's just consumed $100 million, and I never even downloaded whatever it is I got for my 20, so...
0: You don't matter to him anymore. I
1: don't matter to him anymore,
0: for sure. Something will come out, right? I mean, stuff has already come out. A game has come out. I don't want modules. It does look good. It's just weird and fragmented. Do you think something will happen in the next five years? Something's going to happen. For sure, something's going to happen. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Something will get released, please.
1: I mean, it really should, but I actually wouldn't bet on it. Okay. So yeah, my, my prediction for the time capsule is no, we're not going to see a complete inverted commas. Release has started, soon.
0: finally, an easy one. N64 and GameCube classics.
1: I think we won't.
0: Oh,
1: ooh! I'm saying this. I bet in a month's time, Nintendo announces an N64 classic. But before we release this ep, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That'll be the funniest. That'll be the funniest. But I think. It's plausible that we won't see an N64 classic. I think we're going to see the PlayStation classic... Not do so well... Either. Because... Don't get me wrong... It will probably do okay... But... A PlayStation classic... In many ways... Is kind of like... An Atari classic or something. It's... You know, these... The PlayStation, the N64... It's the dawn of 3D gaming... I don't think they've aged well. And for Nintendo, the hardware is weird and awkward to make as well, like those N64 controllers. Don't think they're going to do it. It's Nintendo's fault for making stupid controller layouts, right? You had two generations of completely bonkers controller layouts. GC Classic, in a way, is more plausible because they're having to make GameCube controllers forever anyway because of Smash. But that weird banana Trident controller it's a strange one and and it's going to be awkward even to emulate on say the switch because the button layout doesn't like play nicely you kind of need six buttons on the right hand side for it to work
0: yeah what they do is they make the the analog translate into those four buttons just doesn't work it just doesn't work. Then you get like an extension attachment you can plug into the USB-C port. Bleh. I don't know.
1: You could literally have a different Joy-Con. Well, there you go. It, it would be bad though. And we'll finish off with that bombshell. And on that bombshell. Blah. <laughs>
0: Three is a magic number. Yes, it is. It's a magic number. Somewhere in the ancient... So top three genres. Top
1: three genres. Top three games from each from the past three decades. Boom. Could this be any more complicated?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was really impressed with myself when I... I thought this up. I magic this up, mate. I magic this out of my ass.
1: Well, you actually said top three genres, and then I said, "Oh, let's m- <laughs> let's do like a theme of threes. Let's do top three games in the top three genres." And then you were like, "Oh, I can better that. Let's bring in this decades thing." And then this caused my brain to melt because I realised I just can't remember any games in the period two thousand to two thousand nine. I just don't remember
0: anything. I just didn't want you naming everything from the nineties.
1: Well, this is what we discovered. Literally every game I liked seemed to either be in the nineties or after twenty ten, after twenty ten or twenty eleven, right? Two thousand to two thousand and nine. Bleh. Like I really struggled. I think most of my choices are right on the cusp of like right at the start or right at the end of that decade.
0: We were both busy studying at that time or getting work started. I think I had the same problem. Hmm. Well, my other issue was that
1: I probably could name you games, but it was very difficult to name three games from those three time periods for a specific genre. Because it's not like, oh, I love simulation games, I only play simulation games, or I love FPSs, I only play FPSs. I play all sorts of garbage. And my favourite games, they're all from different genres. So trying to pick three genres and find three games in that genre, I found it tough. So my choices are really weird. Well, actually, no, I think I managed, really. I managed to bring it together, you know. I managed to find a
0: thread. Yeah. But you go first. Okay, so easy one for me. Action adventure games. I started off with Tomb Raider in 96. Did you play Tomb Raider? No.
1: We talked about this last time, I think, but no, I have never played Tomb Raider.
0: So there's was a big deal when Mario 64 came out and Tomb Raider came out around the same time. And it was the advent of these 3D platformers. I played both. Tomb Raider was really good.
1: Yeah, I just totally missed it. It completely passed me by.
0: And the second one here is No Brainer, Uncharted Two, 2009. I don't need to say any more about this because you you made an interesting comment. Try not to um overlap too much with your hashtag Seven Fave Games.
1: Yeah. So, this one was one of your seven fave games, which means that we've actually talked about it at length a year ago- <laughs> two years ago in fact, it was a one year old episode we did Seven Fave games. Cripes, we're so unoriginal
0: <laughs> you can't you can't just magic up another list of games just because and finally, I finished this with r d r It's actually quite hard to find games in the last decade that were good or original, I feel
1: in the action adventure genre, yeah. Well, I think it's kind of depends on how you define action-adventure, because I think you can make an argument that, say, Zelda is not an RPG, it's an action-adventure. I thought you were going to say Dark Souls. Well, that too. Genres are a stupid concept. But we like to categorise things we're human. We like to categorise things we're human, yeah. But to make an inflammatory statement... Please. You know, it's how they say, like, race and then they go and say oh race is actually not a real concept like if you look genetically race isn't really a thing and i would say it's kind of true of games too we just arbitrarily categorize these games but you can kind of put them wherever you like and that's my argument and i'm sticking to it because i've also got some fairly tenuous choices later on
0: you know you you can't critique or provide commentary on this stuff unless you can categorize it or Find some language to define it all. But fuck it's games, it's not highbrow. It's a convenient bucket. So, my first
1: one then, the genre, RPG, first game, Secret of Mana, 1993 on the Super Nintendo.
0: Who released, Who, who developed Secret of Mana?
1: Squaresoft. Before they merged with Enix slash Enix to make Square Enix not many RPGs actually got released in the UK for example none of the Final Fantasy games were released in the UK until Final Fantasy 7 Final Fantasy Mystic Legends or Mystic Quest or whatever the hell it was called it doesn't count trash <laughs> Secret of Mana It was an RPG with levelling up Different equipment, resistances Spells Games like that Were so strange right Like nowadays If it's a big title You'll know it's coming There'll be all sorts of reviews Also I'm a grown up now If I was going to spend 60 USD on a game It wouldn't really matter Okay Okay I mean, within reason, obviously, if I bought the entire contents of Steam, I would be bankrupt. But, you know, I can do it once or twice, it's not a big deal. When I was a kid, obviously, I had very limited funds. But I was also completely reckless and would just sometimes be like, Oh, this looks good, I'm going to buy it. That's all my money for the next six months gone. This was one of them. I remember being in John Lewis which is a UK department store and they had a game section and I just saw this game and thought it looked really cool from the box art from the box art had read no reviews hadn't heard of it I do think it was just arbitrarily reduced it was like 20 pounds which is really unusually cheap for a SNES game never a good sign It's also possible this memory is completely fictitious Saw it on YouTube But I bought it And it became one of my favourite games I think I later Read reviews of it And then There kind of emerged A rivalry between this And Link to the Past About what was the best SNES RPG And I kind of could easily have put Link to the Past here in this slot too but I'd also kind of argue that Link to the Past, Zelda isn't necessarily an RPG. But what is an RPG anyway? Moving on. Morrowind, 2002. I think this is actually the best Elder Scrolls game. Kind of a controversial statement because it's actually a total jank fest and has the most annoying enemy of all time, the Cliff Racer.
0: I've heard that people agree with you because it's the most fantastical of the series.
1: I don't necessarily think it's the fantasticalness of it that I'm really enjoying, though. I think the thing I liked most about this is that it really doubles down on the sandbox elements of the game. It's a real bridging point between the old and new Elder Scrolls games, right? So there's Arena and Daggerfall which are sprite-based. And they really come from an era of RPGs where things were ridiculously hard and just didn't work half the time, but that was just completely acceptable because people would put up with that back then. And when you want to talk to someone and ask about something, it's not like you choose from four options with d D-pad. You had to type in what you wanted to ask about. And Morrowind has some aspects of that still in it. I remember there's a quest where you need to buy some rare book. And you've heard that this particular bookseller has the book. So you go and say, oh, I'd like to buy this book. And he's like, oh, I'm not sure I've got it. You'll have to go and find it. And you just have to walk around this bookshop and try and find that particular book amongst all these huge piles of books. But that's all part of the immersion. The other thing is that the magic system... ...is literally a system. So, it's not like, these are spells you can learn... ...here's a book that teaches you this particular ice spell. It's, ice is an attribute... ...and you can put this much power into the spell... ...and you decide what the spell is. You go to a spellmaker... ...and you define how many mana points you want it to make it cost... ...you define whether you want it to like be a ball... ...or a bolt or an explosion... ...and then that makes the spell... And there are other effects you can have too, like increased speed, or levitation, or teleportation, and you make the spell. Which means you can make some totally broken, but awesome spells. I remember my completely OP character, where I made a really cheap levitation spell that lasted for one minute. So, it was the weakest strength of levitation but it had a really long duration. But because it was so weak, it was still affordable to cast. On the face of it, it was completely worthless. Because the levitation effect was so weak, it took absolutely ages to fly anywhere. I'm literally talking like a centimetre per second, like hovering very slowly upwards. So it seems pointless. But. There is an item in the game called the Boots of Blinding Speed. Which do exactly what they say on the tin. When you put them on. They buff your speed by 300 points. And they make you blind. But. Sorry this is going down a rabbit hole. There's a piece of armour. Called. The saviour's hide. And it has. A very high magic resistance value on it. And I could also make a spell. That had a duration of only a few seconds, that had another almost as high magic resistance power on it. So I put on this armour, and I cast my super high magic resistance spell, and then I put on the boots, then I resisted the blindness, and now I just permanently had extreme speed, but could still see. And then I could cast my incredibly cheap but long-lasting levitation spell... And now I had extreme speed and could fly and was just supermanning around the island. And that is the sort of thing you could do with Morrowind. And that is what made it so awesome. They didn't make a spell that just did that. I figured out how to do that. And I did it. And it worked. And then it crashed. Well, yes. (laughs) But it was worth it. And then the last one, Dark Souls. So, I mean... I've talked about this before many many times this was one of my seven fave games not to mention that game journos professional ones love to talk about Dark Souls, everyone loves to talk about Dark Souls it's it's the current darling of this is the Dark Souls of something so the only point I wanted to make about Dark Souls is I really enjoyed Dark Souls but of the over a hundred hours maybe even hundreds of hours That I have experienced of Dark Souls. Only. 50 or 60 of them were actually me. Personally playing Dark Souls. The rest of them. Were watching other people play Dark Souls. Or watching. Lore explainer videos about Dark Souls. But that was still. Experiencing Dark Souls. And the fact that the game has that much in it. That it's still interesting after that amount of time. Is one of the things that makes it an incredible game. So, Dark Souls from 2011.
0: First person shooters. Half-Life 1998. I played Half-Life, but I really wanted to put down Counter-Strike, but it didn't really fit the timeline. Wait, when's Counter-Strike? <laughs> 2000. Oh. So I really played a lot of Counter-Strike. I did enjoy Half-Life, but Counter-Strike was better.
1: Wait a minute, you played a lot of Counter-Strike.
0: Yeah. This is surprising to me. But pre-source, this is like one five one six. This is 6, 1, four, <laughs> 1, 3.
1: This is as so surprising to me as like the Monty Python little bunny rabbit where it looks so cute and timid and they like rip someone's throat out. Ting playing Counter-Strike. Why not? Didn't think you had it in
0: you. I thought you were scared of balloons. I am scared of balloons, but there are no... Balloons in the Counter Strike map. No,
1: there's just the freaking orb. Just kills you by shooting you in the
0: foot. <laughs> and, you know, and what would follow naturally on from Counter Strike, but Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, 2009. I definitely have a soft spot for military shooters. I'm really mainstream when it comes to this. And it's also what everyone else is playing and makes all the difference.
1: Did you play the single player? For Modern Warfare Two, or
0: is it the multiplayer that got you? I played the single player first. Was internet good back then? I don't even know if internet was good at that. Yes, it was. Internet was good at, by two thousand and nine.
1: Internet was pretty good.
0: Well, actually,
1: in the UK, internet would still have been ADSL. You're talking what eight to twenty megabits.
0: Some people still have that these days.
1: Oh, that's so tragic.
0: Yeah, so natural evolution from like Counter Strike, no progression, and then you've got COD Modern Warfare Two with infinite levels of progression. I guess at this time you were playing WoW and you were grinding away in your own way.
1: Infinite levels of progression. Yeah,
0: is this is with prestige. Prestige, yeah, mm. and then there are challenges to air quotes achievements to to work on, unlocking guns. It's the whole shebang I was
1: unaware even of the concept of prestiging until very recently by very recently I mean like whatever the recent Call of Duty was the World War 2 one yeah I only became aware of the concept of it from talking to you lot when we were going to play it together and then we just completely failed to play it together anyway but that shows you how much I actually really played competitive shooting games
0: It's the sense of achievement after every round. The sense of
1: pride and accomplishment.
0: Uh, You get like, you uh, unlock Darth Vader. Just get like this weird guitar riff to say, you've done something else. Done something else. You should replace my (laughs) random noises with proper noises, please.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not sure I can. It's just too difficult. (laughs) We're just going to have to keep your
0: noises in. And finally, I put down Destiny released in 2014. I think. If I wasn't so busy with other things in life, I would have put PUBG down. Really? I think I would have spent a lot more time playing PUBG knowing that you were playing. Intriguing. Yeah, if I had the time, PUBG would be here instead of Destiny. I'm pretty sure. Only because PUBG would have happened more recently. Not necessarily that it's better than Destiny. Or well, the- apart from that, it's obviously better than Destiny, but- <laughs>
1: well they're very different games
0: yes i think the only problem with pubg is maybe there's not enough challenges achievements things to work on no the idea of just getting better isn't enough for me i need to be measured
1: i find it fascinating that you've just not talked about destiny at all it's like i had to put something in the slot so i put <laughs> destiny here but actually i'd rather have put this and I, you know, I had to put Half-Life here because of the dates, but I really I'd rather put this. Like, this was your idea, man. You can't even stick to your own rules. <laughs> Why did I work so hard to pick games that fit your dates and fit your narrative and made this, you know, interesting conversational thread? Where <laughs> You're just like, oh, this is just like farts them out, whatever this one. I'll just say this one, but then I'll just say something else.
0: My narrative, you know, you've shown how, I've shown how I've gone from single player to multiplayer to shared world shooter. No, that's some evolution yeah, you
1: didn't talk about them at all you didn't, you didn't talk about it it's fine I don't
0: want to talk about Destiny
1: anymore <laughs> yeah we talked about Destiny far too much in the past okay so my next set roguelikes I'm just redefining the first decade to be 1999 and before no which
0: is what we, it was when we talked about it originally
1: Because my first choice is NetHack from 1987. Not that I was playing it in 1987, because I would have been rather young. I actually discovered NetHack at university. So actually, that would put it in the 2000 to 2009 section. But we're picking these games from when they were actually
0: made. So. What's so special about NetHack? Why play a game? 15, 10 to 15 years after the fact. NetHack is just strangely timeless. It's
1: a game that has just been built on and built on and built on. I think there's this sense that whatever you think of doing, the devs already thought of it. Like There's so many interactions between the different items in NetHack... And so many different ways to use the tools that you have available to you. If you are a novice NetHack player. Which actually I'm a novice NetHack player. It's very easy to die. And it feels like the challenge is insurmountable. Like things happen. You're like I have no idea how I could have avoided that situation. Or I have no idea how I could have got out of this situation. With the things that I've got. But if you know what you're doing. You can orchestrate things and organise situations just and just snowball your character until you're pretty much unstoppable. I'm just trying to think of examples of strange tricks you can do. Like, there's an enemy called a cockatrice that turns you to stone with its attack. But if you kill a cockatrice... And are wearing gloves. You can actually pick up the cockatrice. And use it as a weapon. And then when you hit enemies. With a cockatrice's body. It will turn them into stone. Or. If you have an empty potion bottle. And you find a source of water. You can refill it with water. And then if you find an altar. To a god that you are aligned with. You can put that water on the altar. And turn it into holy water. And then if you've got like a dagger, you can dip it into that holy water and then now it becomes an enchanted dagger. Like there's all these weird things you can do. And all of this in an interface that's basically just a terminal window with text. And you have to inscrutably memorize that, you know, D means dip. How often do you need to dip an item into another item? I don't know, but there's a special key that does it. It's hard to master, but it's very, very deep. And it's still being developed to this day. The next one, Diablo 2, from the year 2000. (laughs) is very tenuous.
0: I'm totally calling Diablo 2 a roguelike. So you're going to justify this call?
1: So, the original Diablo was an attempt to make a graphical version of Rogue. So Rogue is obviously where the name Roguelike comes from and it's one of the games in the family tree of games that eventually led to NetHack and then obviously everything else. But the people who wanted to make Diablo they were trying to make a more accessible version so they wanted to put graphics on it but it was still a turn based game and then one day they made a version of it where the next turn button was just permanently held down and then they realized hang on a minute when it's not turn-based and everything just happens all the time it's actually way more fun and then Diablo 2 obviously was designed from the ground up expecting it to be real time but it still kept a lot of those aspects of the original Diablo and Rogue which inspired it so the maps are all completely randomized and If you're playing in hardcore mode, you have permadeath. So I'm totally calling this a roguelike. I'll take that. I wasted way too much time on Diablo 2. I think we've talked about it before. The whole strange economy of Stones of Jordan. Yes. Now you didn't have many. I had one. Sad times. But I sunk a lot of time into Diablo 2. And for the 2010s, The Binding of Isaac. Although there are so many other choices I could have chosen, right? We're definitely in like a roguelike renaissance right now. Pretty much everyone is shoving roguelike elements into every game. I mean, I think I listed uh, as alternatives for this. FTL, Enter the Gungeon.
0: Slay the Spire.
1: Slay the Spire even, jeez, yeah. There, there's so many roguelike games right now but I think one of the ones that really popularised the genre again was Binding of Isaac which is a kind of crazy game I don't think Ed McMillan ever expected it to be as popular as it ended up being it's kind of just disgusting right there's like poop and blood and death And it's this criticism of evangelical, super preachy, whatever. Like the mother is taken in by some preacher on TV or hears voices in her head and decides to sacrifice her son, Isaac, in the biblical sense. All the endings are kind of ambiguous, but they strongly imply that Isaac just dies one way or the other. But none of that really matters. Like what people really play it for is the gameplay which is excellent and following the theme of you can clearly see what I like it's very systemic there are hundreds of items in the game they all affect you in different ways and they combine and synergize in strange and unexpected ways too but because there are so many hundreds of items in the game the chances of you getting one of those amazing synergies when's it going to happen You don't know, but when it does happen it's like, wow, I never thought that this plus this would equal awesome.
0: But it does. (laughs) Like Morrowind. You were just trying to recreate Morrowind. (laughs) Alright. Your last one? Oh, my last one. RPGs, but really Zelda. So, first one, Ocarina of Time, 1998. I've mentioned Ocarina of Time before. I'm so confused. Have I played Ocarina of Time on the 3DS? Do you have Ocarina of Time on the 3DS? I don't. I've got Majora's Mask on the 3DS. I must not have played this on the 3DS. It's one of those I've watched on YouTube I think it's <laughs> happening in reality.
1: <laughs> Did you play it on the N64? You had it back in the day.
0: I played it, yes. But I finished it on the
1: GameCube. Yeah, because that was going to be my next question. Did you have it on one of the later Nintendo systems as a remake.
0: It wasn't a remake, though. It was just as is, but works on. Yeah, that's true. It's not really...
1: Well, it's... The only thing that changed is made the controls map to that other controller in a nicer way, right?
0: This is the the first Zelda game I've played. I've never played any 2D Zelda. Well, you're in for a treat when you play Link to the Bar. (laughs) I can move on. The Wind Waker, 2002. What did you make of The Wind Waker? I know it's... Yeah, what did you make of it when it first came out? People
1: disparagingly called it Zelda, right? Because it was the cel-shaded cartoony graphics. It was very different to Ocarina of Time. It was a major departure. And a lot of people didn't like that. People thought that on their new console, they were going to make something that looked... ...more realistic, because... ...let's be honest, that was like the zeitgeist of the time... ...it was like, make it gritty, make it realistic... ...make it brown... ...and here instead was this very... colorful cartoony looking game... ...but the funny thing is... ...if you go back and look at other games... ...from that era now... ...they all look like trash... ...except for The Wind Waker... ...which still looks amazing... ...it's a timeless classic... ...at least in the way it looks... The gameplay I'm not so sure
0: about. The Triforce fetch quest at the end. Yeah, that wasn't ideal. I think that's where I stopped first time round. had to bring it back up after a period of time.
1: The ending's just kind of sad and melancholy too, right? It's just... But you're not playing Zelda for the story. Are you kidding? I'm playing everything for the story. It's only you who does doesn't do the story. I'm not expecting this super meta narrative where everyone wants to put all the Zelda games in the same timeline right like I wouldn't expect to put all the Final Fantasy games in the same timeline I'm not expecting that from Zelda either but it's sad I mean spoilers for a 16 year old game I think that's alright
0: yeah it's on you now not you but you listening
1: yeah skip forward a few seconds if you don't want to hear this it's like the whole kingdom is just drowned beneath the sea And there's a bubble that protects what was left of it. And at the end, you just collapse that bubble too. It's just like, to hell with it. The end of everything. Let's just drown the world. These little islands are all we need. I'm just surprised.
0: You make a good point because Twilight Princess comes out later on. I don't think it's as good as Wind Waker.
1: Twilight Princess looks worse than Wind Waker now. They had to do Twilight Princess... HD, because if you just took the vanilla Twilight Princess and scaled it up which in fact is what they've done on the Nvidia Shield because that's actually available in China it doesn't really look very good having said that, they did also make Wind Waker HD, which tarted it up some more as well, but I would say that the vanilla Wind Waker still looks much better than the vanilla Twilight Princess
0: I, I did a complete Twilight Princess HD and I've not, I've not put it down on this list because it's not as good. (laughs) And I skipped Skyward Sword. You didn't miss much. And finally, Breath of the Wild 2017. I know you've complained about this game. I know you don't like the cooking. I know you don't like the durability. But you should focus on what's good. I am being a bit facetious when I diss Breath of the Wild, because Breath
1: of the Wild is incredible. Playing Breath of the Wild was one of those few moments in the last 10 years, that kind of recaptured that magic of playing games in my youth. I genuinely didn't know what was going to happen next, or I thought, they can't possibly have done this, but then they had. There's so many moments like that in Breath of the Wild. I
0: wonder if gaming today is a lot about expectation management, and if, They are able to manage expectations so that they're very low. There is a much higher chance of you being in awe of what's on the screen. Because you're right, everything it does seems quite special, but is it really special? I don't care. I don't know and I don't care. We can leave that conversation for another day.
1: I do think it's interesting that so many of the games that we probably would have picked if we didn't have this restriction on one per decade would have been pre-2000 and is that really because the games before 2000 were that good or that experimental or that different or is it just that that was when we were young and those were like formative years and that's when we decided you know this is what makes a good game or these are games that really stuck in our memories I do wonder what would happen if you took like an 18 year old and asked them to like go and make this list Except that they probably won't be able to because they haven't played that many. But you know what I mean. But that is maybe
0: a deeper conversation for another day. Yeah. Yeah. You- oh gosh. Just imagine if you have Kevin in here with us making this list. And wait, wait, how old's Kevin? I don't know.
1: <laughs> Younger than us. Yes.
0: Jeez. <laughs> but he would. You'd. I. I think you'd find some of his suggestions offensive.
1: Okay. Note to self. In a future episode. Let's get some twenty-somethings to give us their ideas. There's Kevin. There's my PUBG squad. <laughs> yeah, because I still hang around with twenty-somethings.
0: That'll be enough to get started. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah there you go. Or if you're twenty-something, write in. Please write in with some suggestions. If you're
0: not, you can still write in. Please. <laughs> if you're not, if you're older, write in with some suggestions. Just give us your first digit of your age. So is this me to finish up? Yeah.
1: So, my last genre, kind of boring. I also picked FPS. I also picked Half-Life. 1998 is the first one. I probably could have picked something else.
0: Don't say that, You, but come on. Maybe I would have picked something <laughs> no, else. You can I'm pick kidding. something else or you're not picking something else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not going to pull a ting. We've talked about Half-Life so much though, right? It was one of the seven favorite games before, wasn't it? Well, it's one of yours, I think.
0: Mm, uh, really? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I stand by that one anymore. <laughs> Half-Life surely was the birth
1: of the cinematic FPS. Because if you think FPS games before Half-Life, Doom, Quake, Hexen, Heretic, Duke Nukem, the plot was secondary and it was more about the shooting. But in Half-Life the shooting was just the way you experienced the plot maybe this is why you didn't care for it because you don't care about story but
0: what do I do but I really go on sorry it's your moment
1: <laughs> no that's it that's it so apart from the last bit which I think most people think was burr, burr, like you know sudden
0: <laughs> falling off a cliff crowbar so, to the brain
1: yeah the last section of Half-Life... On Zen. Disappointing. But...
0: All the way up to that. Awesome. I remember playing it... During my exams. What? I remember after exa- every exam... I'd, I'd play a bit of Half-Life... And during revision I was playing Half-Life. This sounds dangerous. But you need something. You need some sort of reward, no? For your efforts. Your reward is Success.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I was probably playing Diablo 2, so it's not like I can talk. My next one. Deus Ex from 2000. This was probably the first immersive sim game I played. There were a whole bunch of them that came out around about this time because there was also System Shock 2 and there was Thief and Thief 2 as well but Deus Ex is the one I played the most. I really enjoyed the story. It introduced me to all these crazy conspiracy theories about the Illuminati and so on, which I'm not sure necessarily was a good thing, but
0: yeah, fantastic. Has it made you the way you are now? <laughs> what does that even I'm mean? I'm not even sure what that means. You're just normal. <laughs> just terrified
1: of greasels. Did you, did you play it? Yes. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. I have no idea what
0: you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. It was also just a really clever game. It had many branching paths. So, even quite early on, you could kill, like, the terrorist leader or you could let him escape. You could accidentally, on purpose, kill one of the other counter-terrorist agents. Because you secretly sided with the secessionists or something. You could rescue your brother. You could not realise that your brother usually needed rescuing. And as a result he'd die. There was a lot in there. I do think the disappointing thing was that the endings were all kind of the same. Right? You got to the end of the game. And you could do one or three things. And you'd get a different ending. But everything you did up to that point kind of didn't really matter. Also plasma weapons were trash. Which is disappointing. Plasma weapons sound like they should be amazing, but actually they're just like, pew, and they're really inaccurate and do nothing. Too bad. And then let's all forget about Invisible War. And then to end it, PUBG 2017. Of course I'm going to pick PUBG. I was never really into competitive FPSs before. Like, I played them, but... I didn't really care like I was just playing them because other people were playing them but I didn't really really want to win and PUBG is the first time where I played a game and I play to win I actually also really enjoyed the battle royale film and so the thought of this you're on the island and it's you versus 99 other people survive you know that also just really got its hooks into me Fantastic game. I can't believe I played like Actually, we we talked about my thousand hours of practice, right? And you were doing a video documentary of them that's kind of just faded out. You did actually make one that hasn't been released because you realised you missed out loads of videos and you have to do it again, and I think that just broke your soul and now you've (laughs) given up. But I'm currently on five hundred and sixty something hours, I think. So... Still going strong. I think the problem is I kind of peaked around 400 hours. My performance at the game at 400 hours was significantly better than it is now. But whether that was just because I was playing it more regularly then and had more muscle memory, or I think they just changed the gun mechanics and I just never managed to recover from that because they, like, they significantly increased the vertical recoil a few patches ago and I just can't shoot any assault rifles anymore now but who knows maybe I'll pull it back I mean I'm not terrible at it you know we still win from time to time but it's a far cry from the at least winning every week and at one point winning every day you know now
0: we're not playing every day though
1: Yeah, now we're not playing every day. I think we win less than once a month, (laughs) right? So that's a significant downturn from our previous performance, but I'm also only playing on weekends now. So it's probably better for the rest of my life. It's still a great game. I still prefer to play PUBG over any of the other battle royale games that have come up recently. And we're playing in first person perspective before anyone says this isn't an FPS even though I think I'm actually better in third person, but, you know, I had to take one for the team.
0: That's it? That's it. Boom. Finally.
1: The next book club game, and what we're going to do about the book club for this next year of the podcast. So, in the first year of the podcast we just kind of notionally had a book club game and we kind of just played it whenever we felt like it and then we just randomly talked about it. And then at some point, we became much more systematic. So we would define checkpoints and we would play the game and we would discuss the game in a set number of episodes. But... It takes a long time to play through a game like that. And we're not getting through that many games. Plus, it just takes up a lot of our time if we play a long
0: game. This doesn't sound very positive. What we're actually doing is we're trying to make more time to do other things around games. Right? For this next year. Yes.
1: So... What does that literally mean we're going to do?
0: What it means is we're going to go back to the quick look format of games. But on top of that, we're going to play games which would then inspire us to build something.
1: So we're going to pick a few games that follow a theme. And then we're going to try and make something on that theme. And if that thing that we make isn't a total jank fest... Then maybe we'll share it with everyone as well.
0: That's not the criteria. If it's a jank fest, you can still release it to the world. <laughs> okay, okay. If it's yeah, if it's playable, we'll release it to the world. If there's something there of worth, yeah, we're not, not going to charge for it. You know, it's just free for you to
1: free for you to see. To what mock, is what is mock? this trash? <laughs> It'll be like the game jam where we took a perfectly serviceable <laughs> game. and made it into this disastrous pile of... So to recap we'll pick a theme we'll try and make something on that theme and for the games that we pick under that theme we're going to choose one each month and talk about it we won't necessarily finish it particularly if we pick something like NetHack which I still haven't finished after 15 years or <laughs> whatever it is i first played it so we don't necessarily commit to finishing these games but for this first one we definitely should finish it
0: Writing? Right, yeah
1: especially with your safe states
0: i love scumbag step, i love these save states so step one get switch online i haven't got switch online <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get it after this recording what's step two Step two, play Super Mario Brothers. So, the first theme is going to be platformers. The first game is going to be Super Mario Brothers. You don't have to play it on Switch Online. If you've got a NES Classic, you can play it on that. If you have acquired it through other means, I won't judge you, you can play it on that. You've never played really any of these NES games, have you?
0: No. Have You have. Of course you have. I know you have.
1: Yeah, so the 8 and 16-bit Nintendo consoles you pretty much missed out on. Yes. So, at least for you, this is kind of still the backlog, right? Okay, yes. So, I'm claiming this is still on topic. And for me, I'm just, like, saying, You need to play this game, man. It's amazing.
0: You need to report back whether the game has changed, or you just you can't play these games anymore be interesting to have that commentary
1: yeah for me it will be a different perspective on it do we want to mention where we think we'll go next
0: yeah non-committal but yeah we should
1: okay and then after super mario brothers we think we're probably going to do super mario brothers three and super mario world so those will be the ones for that first platforming section I guess these are all Nintendo Mario platformers which is a very specific kind of platformer. But that's the theme we're we're going with for this first iteration. We may throw Rayman in there. I've never played Rayman Rayman's so Rayman's good. So that one at least will be on my backlog. And so just to give an idea of other things we think we may do down the road. Action adventure games. We may play through, say, the Zeldas or other early RPG adventure games.
0: We're open to suggestions.
1: Roguelikes. Puzzle games. Programming puzzle games. There's plenty of them. And then remember, we're picking these simpler games because we're going to try and make something on that theme as well. As much as we would love to pick RDR2, I don't think... We're quite up to making RDR two yet.
0: RDR two two D.
1: RDR two two D. <laughs> yeah. D make. It's just two D horse testicles. That's the important part of RDR two, right? It seems to be all anyone's writing about on the internet, anyway.
0: Yeah, and if we're gonna build it, it's gonna be janky. So you know that's gonna be an effort.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's just not do that.
0: We were lost levels club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes.
1: Please, please, please.
0: You can find us on email.
1: ting at LostLevels.Club. On Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. On Reddit. Slash r slash Lost Levels Club. On YouTube. And Twitch as Lost Levels Club. So, Michael. Hmm? What are you grateful for today? I am grateful... There's another public holiday next week.
0: Can you believe it? Another one. So Michael says bye. Bye bye.